Scripture reading this morning is be from Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Malachi 1, 6 through 8. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reference? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. We've got a number of visitors with us this morning. We're really glad that you've come to be with us. Thank you so much for spending this time in worship with us. And one of the really neat things over the last several weeks has been every Sunday we see some new faces that are not new faces. There are folks that have been quarantining and uh, have, have finally finished with their vaccination process and, or, or um, health concerns and things, and they're starting to come back. And we're really, really glad to see one another. You know, it's been almost a year since all of this began. And when we stop and think about all the things that God has blessed us with over the last year, it's really a tremendous thing to be able to see one another, to be able to uh, greet one another. That's one of the reasons why we come together on the first day of the week. And so we're really glad to see old faces that are making their way back. Thank you so much for being here as well. This past week, we read the book of Malachi together as a congregation. Maybe that's not a book you've read recently or thought about recently, But there are four chapters in Malachi, and it has to do with giving God the reverence and the glory that's due his name. Or, as we just sang, and as the title of the sermon suggests, it has to do with ascribing the worth and the majesty and the praise of God to the God who made us. Worthy art thou. God wants first place in your life. He won't accept any other place, as a matter of fact. And that's what Malachi is really about. When you read Malachi, he's kind of unique among the prophets because most of the other prophets that you read in the Old Testament, they're all about how people should stop worshiping idols and they should worship the right God, the true God. Read Hosea, read Amos, read Isaiah. They're all telling people, stop worshiping those idols, stop worshiping those false gods, worship the true God. But that's not what Malachi does. Because you know what? In Malachi's day, he lived about 400 years before Christ. In Malachi's day, the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God, they had finally, finally, after centuries, put away their idols. They didn't have the high places and the shrines and the idols that you you found in earlier centuries. They were truly monotheistic. They worshipped one God. But the problem that Malachi highlights is a problem that sometimes is characteristic of us today. Even though they worshipped God, and even though they worshipped God in the way that God had prescribed, their hearts and their attitudes were displeasing before God. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20 verse 3. It's one of the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. To Satan, Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Matthew 4, verse 10. God wants first place in our lives and he will not accept anything less. And that is truly what Malachi deals with. Giving God first place in your life. Did you know that Jesus came and when he, when, he, when he said he came, he gave reasons why he had come. One of the things he said was, I always do those things that please my father. John 8 verse 29. What are you about, Jesus? What are you here for? Why did you come to earth? I come to do the things that please my father. I've come to serve him, to honor him, to bring him glory. Jesus gave God the first place in his life. Have you and are you in your life giving God the first place? Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Malachi, and most of our study is going to come from this short four-chapter book, and we're going to think about giving God first place, giving him our very best. And as you look at Malachi, you know, one observation about Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. The Old Testament begins in Genesis with a promise about Christ, about how Jesus is going to come into the world and crush the serpent's head, Genesis 3, verse 15. And the Bible ends, the Old Testament ends with the prophecy of Malachi that a forerunner, Elijah, is going to come and he's going to herald the great day of the Lord, the Messiah, Malachi 3, verses 1 and 2, and Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. The Old Testament from start to finish is about Jesus and it's about giving God the first place. Notice, if you will, this morning, as you look at Malachi, number one, Malachi indicates that God is worthy of our very best. Worthy of our very best. And we're not talking about, you know, external things. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts and what flows from that. When we talk about giving God our very best, we're talking about our attitude toward God that has an effect on the rest of what we do with our lives. And God is worthy of our very best. I want you to note as you look through those four chapters of Malachi, the many ways in which God is described. And God is the speaker in most of the words of Malachi. Notice if you would Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. God describes himself as a father. He describes himself as a master. Both worthy of respect we ought to respect our parents. We ought to respect our father. And we certainly, if we're a slave, ought to respect and give reverence and fear to our master. And God, in a, in a sense, is both of those things, a father and a master. But then look on in Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. God is a great king. You don't come flippantly into the presence of a great king. You don't come casually into the presence of one who is mighty and majestic. God is a great king and he's demanding that we understand and respect who he is. In Malachi 2 verse 10, there's a section in Malachi that deals with divorce and how God has a hatred for divorce and how divorce is treachery against one's spouse. And the way that Malachi begins that section in Malachi 2 verse 10 is he says, don't we all have the same creator? 
God? Isn't he the one that made us? And if he made us, how can we treat each other with such cruelty, with such heartlessness that we would divorce our spouses after having made a promise, I'm going to be with you forever until the end of our lives, as long as we both shall live. How can you treat your spouse that way? He's our creator. Who is God? In Malachi 3 verse 6, one of the famous passages of the Old Testament, I am the Lord I do not change. He is the unchanging one. In Malachi 3 verse 6. God is described throughout Scripture in many ways, but it's important for us to tune in to how God describes himself. Father, Master, Great King, Creator, Unchanging One. And then as you look through Malachi, continuing with this point, notice what God expects. What does he want from us? If he is all these things and he's worthy of our very best, what is it that he expects from us? If we recognize his worth, what should we give to him? In Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, he is one to be loved because he loved his people first. I've chosen Jacob. He's writing to Old Testament Israelites and he's saying, you're my people. I love you. And I expect that in response. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. God is one to be loved. Not only that, God is one to be magnified. In verse 5, he talks about how when he deals properly with the Edomites, his fame and his glory are going to go out into the ends of the earth. Other people are going to hear about how great God is, how magnificent he is. He's one to be magnified. Who is God? Verse 6 of Malachi 1, he is someone to be honored. He is someone to receive reverence from us. Honored and revered. You know, the common attitude these days toward God and toward the things of God is to be skeptical, to scoff, and to mock When you look at what media does with God and the things of God, when you look at what most people do in their lives with God and the things of God, he is someone in most people's minds to be mocked and to be scorned and to be thought little of. But God indicates otherwise. I am worthy. I am to be revered. Malachi 1 verse 10 More about this verse in just a few moments, but God said to the Israelites, it would be better for you to close the doors of the temple and not come than to come and to worship the way that you're doing it right now. Who is God? He's one to be worshiped. Malachi 1 verse 10. Malachi 1 verse 14. Who is God? He's the great king and he is one to be feared. When we come and before, before God, we, we bring our praise and our sacrifice and we bring our worship to Him. All of these things blend together to help us to realize the awesome nature of the God that we serve. He is worthy, infinitely worthy of our very best. You know that song that Tom led us in a few moments ago, Worthy Art Thou? That was written by a brother in Christ. His name was Tillett Tedley. He died at over the age of 100 just not that many years ago. Brother Tedley wrote dozens of hymns, dozens over his lifetime. But he was famous for saying repeatedly that he thought that out of every hymn that he wrote, the greatest contribution Brother Tedley said he thought he had made to our hymn books is that song, Worthy Art Thou. 
He said, I believe that's the greatest contribution I've made, and here's why. Because people need to reflect on and think about the worthiness of God. They need to think about how great God is and how he's worthy of our very best. And it'd be hard to disagree with that sentiment. God's worthy. Malachi 3 verse 18, who is God? He's one to be served. He's one to be served. There will be a distinction, God says in Malachi 3.18, between those who serve me and those who do not serve me. But I am worthy of service, of honor, of sacrifice, of love. Notice this secondly then. If it's true that God is worthy of our very best, notice that not everyone gives their best to God. Not everyone does. Many Christians get into the habit. I know if you've been a Christian for any period of time, this has probably happened to you. You get into a habit, you get into a rut, and you wake up one day and you realize, I'm not really giving my very best to God. I'm kind of coasting. I'm kind of giving it a half-hearted effort when it comes to God and the things of God. And that's exactly the problem that Malachi highlights. Read for us just a moment ago is Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to the words of God. This is God speaking to his people. He says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? I recognize that you and I don't offer animal sacrifices. That's not part of the New Testament covenant. That's not part of God's plan today. Jesus is our sacrifice, and he's a perfect and a better sacrifice than lambs and cows could ever have been. But listen to the logic that God is using. What were the people doing? They were going out into their fields and looking at their flocks and their herds And they were looking for the sick and the lame and the blind animals. And they were thinking, well, this one doesn't cost me as much because this animal's not worth as much. And so when they came to the temple, yes, they were worshiping God. Yes, they were doing what God's word prescribed, but they weren't bringing him their very best. They were bringing him their leftovers. Doesn't really cost me much to bring the sick sheep This one's on its last leg. Go ahead and offer that to God. Doesn't cost as much to bring the blind bull. This one isn't of much use anymore. Offer that to God. And God says, take those things and offer them to your governor. Offer them to your human rulers. Are they going to be happy with that when you bring a bunch of blind, sick, lame animals and say, here, we honor you. Here's your taxes. Here's your praise. Are they going to be happy with that? Not everyone gives their very best to God, and the same is true today. What are some reasons why that's true? Let me share seven with you. Why do people refuse or fail to give their best to God? Reason number one, laziness. Laziness. Romans 12, verses 11 and 12 commands Christians to not be lagging in diligence, to be fervent in spirit, God wants us to be fervent, to be zealous, not lagging in diligence. And a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our worship of God, when it comes to the way we approach God, we exhibit a spirit of laziness. Eh, just not all that interested in this. 
I'll be in the right place with the right people, singing the right songs at the right time. I'll do all those things, but don't expect me to really put my heart into it. Don't expect me to really think about the words that I'm singing. Don't expect me to do those things. It's laziness. It's giving God our leftovers. Not everyone gives their best to God, number two, because of self-righteousness. You know, a lot of us, if we're not careful, can become really proud of ourselves. We can become really proud of who we are and of what we've accomplished and of things that we've sacrificed and given and, and how great we've been in God's service. And we can kind of pat ourselves on the back. And so we end up thinking, you know what? I've done a lot. I'm going to let other people take the lead. Self-righteousness. Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 10, that after you've done everything that God commanded of you, you still need to be able to say, I am a wicked and unprofitable servant. Why? Because in our service to God, we're not earning anything. There's no brownie points. There's no stars that you get to accumulate and build up. It's just service to God because he's worthy of our service. Nothing to be proud of in our service to God. Paul says repeatedly through his writings, if I'm going to boast, I just want to boast in what Jesus has done and in what his cross means to me. Galatians chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. The Pharisees stood up and prayed before God and thanked him that he wasn't like other men and that he wasn't a wicked person like this tax collector over here. He was full of self-righteousness, full of himself. Why don't people give their best to God? Some just out of ignorance. I never really thought about who God is, and I never really thought about how much I owe Him, and I never really thought about what I need to do in my devotion to Him. Ephesians 5.17 tells us not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. Let God's Word inform your heart and mind so that we bring God what's appropriate to Him. Why doesn't everyone give their best to God? Sometimes because of immaturity. We just never grow up. For whatever reason, we just linger in this infant state of Christianity. It's not something that I'm interested in growing. It's not something that I'm interested in, in delving into more. I heard the gospel. I responded to the gospel. But you know what? I really don't have an interest in growing in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior. 2 Peter 3.18 1 Peter 2 verses 1 and 2 commands us as newborn babes to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. And a lot of people just never grow. We're still infants spiritually. Not everyone gives their best to God because sometimes it's true of us that we've left our first love. That for whatever reason, something's happened, we've been distracted, something's, something's gone on in our lives and... Loving God and being loyal to Him is just not as much of a priority as it used to be. Revelation 2 verse 4, the congregation that Jesus wrote to, He told them that they had doctrinal accuracy. They were doing the things that please God and what they taught and what they stood for, but they had still left their first love in Ephesus. Revelation 2 verse 4. Have you left your first love? Is a love and a passion for God and for Jesus Christ, is that at the heart and the center of who you are and what drives you and motivates you? Not everyone gives their best to God sometimes because we're worried about what other people think. What are my friends going to think? I mean, really, 
if, if, if I start doing the things that demonstrate that I'm giving my very best to God, that my time and my energy and my resources, that those things, the best of those things, those belong to God and, and my heart and my zeal for him, what are people going to think? If, if that's the way I live my life, what are my friends and my relatives going to say about me? John 12, verses 42 and 43, some people believed in Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah, but they would not confess him because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue. John goes on to say they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Not everyone gives their best to God, sometimes because of procrastination. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they were all post-exilic prophets. That means that there was a captivity, and after captivity, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were the prophets that God sent to the people. And in Haggai, here was Haggai's situation, similar to Malachi's. The temple that God expected to be rebuilt, it had lain in ruins for nearly two decades. And while the temple lay in ruins, the people were saying this, Haggai 1 verse 2, they were saying, the time has not come. It's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. And Haggai makes this point to the Israelites. He says, look, you've come back from captivity and you've rebuilt your lives. And all the things that you want to do, you found a way to do those things. All the things that, want to, that, that make your life comfortable and happy, you found a way to do those things. But when it comes to building God's temple, all I hear from you is, it's not time yet. Now's not the time. Procrastination putting off knowing what I know needs to be done to give my very best to God. Not everyone gives their best. Many reasons why that's true. You know what my favorite verse, it's hard to pick a favorite verse, but my favorite verse that I read this week in Malachi was this one, Malachi 3 verse 7. And here's what God says. In the midst of all these warnings, there's an invitation from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And God might be saying that to you this morning. You've not been keeping my statutes. You've not been devoting your life and your heart to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me. What God is challenging you and me to do this morning is to come back home to him. To bring him the glory and the praise that's due his name. To give him the first place in your life. To make him the priority and the reason for which you do everything. That's what God's inviting you and me to do. And so in the midst of these prophetic warnings, you've also got a gracious invitation. God says, return to me. And he never fails to return to those who return to him. Number three this morning. Five truths about giving our best. Five truths based on what we read in Malachi about giving our very best to God. He's worthy of our best. Not everyone gives their best. Here are five truths about giving our best to God. Number one, if we truly love God, if love for God is really what we're all about, that demands, doesn't it, that we give our very best. I'm talking about genuine, heartfelt, deep-felt, deep-seated love for God. Doesn't that demand that we give our best? If we love God, are, are we happy just giving Him our leftovers? Just giving Him the sick and the lame and the blind? Is, is that okay with us? 
Malachi 1 verse 2, the book starts, I've loved you, God says. Jesus said the great command was to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Can that really be said of us, that we love God like that? Second truth. Look at Malachi chapter 1 verse 10 again. God says something startling. There are these passages in the, New Te- in the Old Testament that are called anti-cultic passages. That's the scholarly term. A-N-T-I hyphen C-U-L-T-I-C. Anti-cultic. An anti-cultic passage is a passage where God says to people, stop worshiping me. Quit. I don't want to hear your prayers. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want any of these things you keep bringing to me. Stop it. There's an anti-cultic passage, for example, in Isaiah chapter 1. There's an anti-cultic passage in Amos chapter 4. And there's an anti-cultic passage here in Malachi chapter 1 verse 10. Where God basically says, It would be better for you, Israelites, if you close the doors and shut down the temple than to keep doing what you're doing. I would prefer that, God says. I don't want half-hearted devotion. I don't want sick leftovers. I want you to bring me your very best. And if you're not going to do that, then quit worshiping me altogether. And that's a terrifying thing to stop and think about what God is saying. I'd rather not have a relationship with you than for you to be lukewarm and half-hearted in what you're doing. Better to close the doors than to worship with leftovers. Truth number three about giving our best. Our manner of service, the way you serve, whether you give your best, actually has a tremendous influence on others. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 8. God's talking to the priests who should have been teaching Israel, Malachi 2, verse 7. They should have been declaring God's word to the Israelites and and letting them understand better. But the priests, not only didn't they teach God's word, but the priests were living this half-hearted lifestyle too. And they had caused others to stumble. When I fail to give God my best, it's not just about my soul. It's not just about my my, my heart. It's about my influence on others. The fact that I'm going to have an effect on others by the way that I serve or don't serve God ought to cause us to stop and think. Truth number four, giving our best to God, listen now, is a matter of stewardship and it's a matter of trust. Malachi 3 verse 10, the people were not bringing their tithes. That is, God required a certain percentage in the Old Testament of their profits and their proceeds and their, their flocks and their herds and their, and their harvest and their crops. They were not bringing their tithes to God. Maybe they thought the economic times, just the, the winds look bad and, and it looks like there's, there's difficult times on the horizon, so we're just going to hold off. God knows our hearts. He knows we love Him. And God says, no. This is a matter of stewardship and trust. You give me the first place. You bring your very best to me, God says. And see, try me and see. If you make me the focus of your life and give me your best, see if your houses and your barns are not filled with plenty. 
See if that's not true. You might read that passage in conjunction with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look and see if the same promises are not made to Christians under the new covenant. I believe they are. If we make God the first place in our lives, if we're channels of his blessings to others, God can find ways in our experience to bless us so that we can continue to bless others more and more. It's the way he works. It's a matter of stewardship and trust. And then number five, truth about giving our best to God. God delights in those who truly serve him. It should be Malachi 3, verses 17 and 18. I just had space on the screen for verse 18. Malachi 3, verses 17 and 18. Listen to what God says. Toward the end of the book, there's all this confusion about who's truly serving God. And God says, I can look among your hearts and I can look at your lives and I know, I know who's bringing me their best. And here's what he says about those who do so. He says in verse 17 of Malachi 3, they shall be mine on the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. God says, I delight They're my precious jewels, the people who make me the priority, the people who give me their very best. Those are the people in whom I delight. And in every generation, God knows and he sees the sacrifices and the worship that we offer to him. He knows whether it's just the leftover or whether it's really our best. God is worthy. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of everything. And maybe you recognize that and you want to make your life right with him because Jesus, the one who is our example, Jesus gave the very best of what he had to offer so that you and I don't have to be lost forever. He suffered and he died to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. If Jesus did that for us, How do we respond to him? The way that a person becomes a Christian, the way that a person obeys the gospel, it's very plain, it's very straightforward. Put your faith and your trust and your belief and your confidence in Jesus Christ, number one. Confess that he is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God, he is the Christ, and you want him to be the Lord of your life, number two. Repent of your sin Sin sometimes is nothing more than just not making God our very best, not giving him our very best. Something else is more important. Something else has a greater priority. Repent and turn back to God and then be baptized. It's in baptism that we put on Christ and we become part of the new covenant. If you need to respond and make that need known this morning, or if you need to respond and you want to ask for prayers, whatever your need is, Won't you come this morning while together we stand and while we sing? Lord.
I bring my grief to thee, the grief 